0: And so this is the 11th lesson of the fall quarter, 2022. The title of the lesson is Paul's Denunciation of Heresy, and the scriptures are Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. So Lord, we thank you for this letter from Paul to the Colossian church that has been preserved 2,000 years for us to see. And it's still... Uh, pertinent, uh, because there are heresies that we have to guard against. And so we pray that your Spirit would teach us, and we pray that uh, we would believe what is true, and that comes from your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Correction on the title. <laughs> We're on Lesson 10 in the fall quarter, and it's Paul's Purpose in Ministry And it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to chapter 2, verse 7. So now my notes and the thing match. So I apologize for that. But anyway, we say the same prayers. So the first section is the mystery of Christ. Can I get somebody to read that? That's chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. Uh... Verses 24 through 27 of chapter 1. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I have a question. Do you rejoice in your sufferings? That's what Paul starts off saying there in that verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Yeah, he really suffered. So, yeah, the Bible says that um, we were called to this suffering. Did you know that? That's something people don't like to think about too much. 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Oh, no, it's 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. It says, For what credit is there if when you sin, and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor in God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Then also First Peter chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. So what this is telling us is that suffering in some degree is a normal Christian experience. It is normative. It is to be expected. Why do you think that is? Have any ideas? You know, Suffering is a normal Christian experience. It's to be expected. You know, uh, to yeah, some I degree. We'll yeah, I, I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one is when we believe in Christ, we're immediately put into a war. Okay? With three things. With our own flesh with the world and with the devil. And this warring against us causes us to suffer. And also, the other thing is suffering. Suffering is probably the strongest device the Lord has to cause us to grow spiritually. When we go through suffering, and He sustains us through it, we grow very much. Uh, It's not pleasant, but... You know, it's a uniform Christian experience, suffering. So if you're suffering, you don't need to be surprised. And you can trust that the Lord will get you through it. So this is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. It says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we have all become partakers—you see that? We have all become partakers of God's discipline—then you're illegitimate children and not sons. God disciplines us because He loves us. So God loves and saves us just as we are. We don't have to clean up. All we have to do is trust in Christ, and we are saved. But God also loves us too much to leave us as we are. And so he wants us to grow. He wants us to become like Christ. And that many times involves discipline. And he disciplines us because he loves us. And also Satan attacks us. And, and the world attacks us. And our own flesh attacks us. And so those are the uh, the things that you know, kind of conspire together to cause us to suffering, to suffer. But Paul rejoices in his sufferings. You know, when you, and that's the crown of life. Remember, if you if you suffer trials, trusting in the Lord, you are rewarded with a crown of life at the beam seat judgment. So now, this concept is not very seeker friendly, is it? You know, if you go to a seeker-friendly church, I don't think you'll hear a lot of this, that you are destined to suffer as a Christian. Um, But it's true. So if you're suffering, you can rejoice because you are earning rewards as you trust in the Lord as he delivers you through the suffering. So then he goes on to say, and this has been misinterpreted says now i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh i do share i do my share on behalf of his body which is the church in filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions now is there anything lacking in what christ did for our salvation no there's nothing lacking so what do you think he means by what he's saying here it is completed but he says he says i Um, That Paul, in his flesh, shares on your behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Yeah, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he said, it is finished. That's just before he gave up his spirit. He had done everything that was required for all of humanity to be saved from their sins. I think what Paul is saying is that there will be suffering because we identify with Christ. Okay. You know, Peter also said that, we we talked about Peter, about suffering. And um, this is from the quarterly. Neither were these two apostles saying that suffering on the part of believers completes Christ's atoning work. That is, that we must suffer in order to fulfill what Christ left undone in paying the penalty for our sins. You know, Catholic doctrine is a little bit that way. They say that, you know, you must believe in Christ and you, almost must, you also must obey to be saved. Because Christ, you know, it's like it's not enough. But Christ, what he did is enough. And so, It goes on to say in addition, they did not teach that we experience a mystical union with Christ's atoning work when we endure hardships for His sake. Both were clear that Christ's redemptive work is entirely sufficient in atoning for our sins. His death on the cross was a unique event and distinct from anything we as believers can experience. Yeah, in this talking about a mystical union with Christ's atoning work, You know, in the Philippines, I think uh, around Easter time, I've seen this. They they actually crucify themselves. You know, there are people who do that. Like they're getting in a mystical union with Christ's atoning work, you know. That's heretical, too. Um, Yeah, I think what Paul is saying is that there will be suffering. As a Christian, as a result of your union with Christ, we are, no, no, we, I mean, we, we can't even imagine how he suffered. No, we're not suffering like he did. And when we do suffer, he sustains us and he brings us through it. That's how we learn to depend on him more, you know, more. So Paul, before he was saved, he was on the other side. He was the persecutor, right? And that's Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, and verses 4 and 5. And Jesus is talking to Paul. Let me get there. And uh, Paul, there's a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you? persecuting me. And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Remember, the church is the body of which Christ is the head. So when the church is persecuted, Jesus himself is persecuted because we are his body. And that's what he's saying to Paul. And that's, I think, how to understand that that verse where he says, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. The church will be persecuted because Christ was persecuted and it's normal for it to be that way. And so when you get persecuted, you don't have to wonder what is going on. That is what's going on. So then verse 25 says, Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. So Paul was made a steward. He had a stewardship. That can also be translated, the, there is a certain stewardship as a dispensation. But we're all stewards, Right? We are all stewards of whatever Christ has assigned to us. And for each one it is different. And what does Paul say about stewards? What is their responsibility? Yeah. Their responsibility is not necessarily what you would consider success. Um in first Corinthians four two he says In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy." Other translations would say faithful. You want to be faithful. Um, It might look like you're not succeeding in what the Lord has called you to do. Uh, But that is not what he asks of you. He asks of you to be faithful, not to succeed. That is why this idea of the ends justify the means is wrong. When you do everything that is necessary to get to a certain end, then you break God's will. It tempts you to break God's will to do that, because you go outside of His will to get your goal, okay? The ends justify the means. That's a terrible, demonic idea (laughs) to do that. You know no, you just you're just faithful to the Lord, so a steward is a manager of someone else's property. What has God lent to us? What has Everything God lent to you? Earth. Yeah, yeah, God has lent to us our life, mm-hmm. our bodies, your children. your children, if you have them, yes. Uh, Your abilities, um, you know, your possessions. So, really, your time. God has given us time. He has given us talents. And he has given us abilities, talents or abilities, and also treasure to some extent. You know, he gives us possessions. And so we are to be stewards of those things our time, our talents, and our treasure, how would the Lord like us to use those things? And it's different for every person, you know? And it's between you and the Lord how, as you're looking at His Word, how He will guide you in that. But what He looks at for reward is our being faithful in using those things to serve Him. Our time, our talents, our abilities, and our treasure, whatever it is. And I heard another pastor say also our government, because in our system, uh, we are supposed to be the, uh, the boss, if you will, of the government. The government is our servants. We elect them to serve us. And so that is why Christians should vote. Christians should vote, and they should vote along biblical principles for the candidates. No candidate is going to be perfect. But those who are more biblical than others are the ones that we should receive our our support. So for Paul, what he was, his stewardship was to fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God that's what he says at the end of verse 25 so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God so not every believer is given that stewardship to preach and as first Corinthians 12 4 through seven talks about the different gifts or the different abilities you know that God has given you of course the the gifts Spiritual gifts are a little bit different than your abilities. Your abilities God gives them to you is innate abilities, you know, that you have. The gifts come from the Spirit when you're saved. So 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things, In all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the spiritual gifts are given so we can can serve each other. And then verses 26 and 27 the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, that is pretty cool. And this was a new thing, because Jesus is a Jew. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Mm -hmm. And before Jesus came, if you wanted to follow God, you became a proselyte to Judaism, to Mosaic Judaism, not to Pharisaic Judaism but to Mosaic Judaism, there's a difference. The the Pharisees twisted the law and made it so it wasn't doing its job, which was to drive people to Christ. That was the job of the Mosaic law. So now for Gentiles, non-Jews to be saved, all we have to do is trust in the Jewish Messiah and we're saved because that's his promise. And that gives us this fact. This is this is a this is a fact right here. You can take it to the bank. Christ is in you, and that is the hope of glory. Remember that. Yes. You never <laughs> yes. Christ is in you. Also, the Holy Spirit is in you. Mm-hmm. See this. The, these are these things that blur your mind, thinking about the Trinity. Two, two persons of the Trinity indwell you. Christ indwells you, second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. So that goes to the what we talked about before about Christ and the hypostatic union. He is in a body, but in his divinity, he is everywhere at once. And in his divinity, he indwells us. So in his body, he's in heaven, acting as high priest. So that is amazing stuff. Anything else on that section? So we know that sufferings are going to come. We trust the Lord through them when they come. We're not surprised when they do. And we have him within us in order to fulfill our own personal stewardships. So section B is on Christian maturity. That's 28 and 29, two verses. So I'll read that one. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So in verse 28, this, he's talking about two of the purposes of the church. The church, um, much of the church today has lost its way as to what its purpose is. They think that the purpose is to make the kingdom come. And uh, that is why they want to... They want good education, they want universal health care, they want a uh, a redistribution of wealth, all of these things, because they're trying to create a man-made utopia. And the church is involved in this. This is Marxist ideology that the church has imbibed, okay? The biblical purpose of the church is threefold. The first is to proclaim him. That is what Paul says here. We proclaim him. That's evangelism. That's talking to an unbeliever and telling them three things. And you cooperate with the Holy Spirit as you talk to an unbeliever. The Holy Spirit is convicting the unbeliever of sin. What is the sin? They don't believe in Jesus. He is convicting them of righteousness what does that mean? The Father accepted Jesus' righteousness because he ascended to heaven. He was resurrected from the dead. They need that righteousness. They cannot have it unless he gives it to them. And the third thing that the Holy Spirit is convicting the unbeliever of is that the world, the ruler of this world is now judged. The ruler of the world is Satan. Satan is judged, if they do not do not accept Jesus' offer, they will ride the boat under <laughs> with Satan. Those are the three things the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world of. And so that's how you talk to unbelievers. They need Jesus. If they don't believe, that is a sin. That is the only sin that sends you to hell, unbelief. They need his righteousness. That's why they need him, because his righteousness God will accept. Theirs he will not accept. And if they don't, they're going to ride this world system to hell with Satan. So that's how you cooperate with the Holy Spirit when you're evangelizing. The other thing that we do is what he says there in the rest of verse 28. We admonish every man and teach every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So that's the second purpose of the church is edification of the saints. And that's what goes on mostly in church. We study the Bible. We apply the Bible to our lives and we grow. That's how we grow and um what what is the purpose of that is to present every man complete in Christ It's to make everyone mature, to make everyone like Jesus in their character and that that is the goal of the church you know we want new people to come, and we want the people who are here in the church to mature into christ likeness and that happens with. Uh, studying of the bible and prayer so and paul was very sold out to this so he says for this person purpose i also oh my gosh for this purpose also i labor striving according to his power which mightily works within me so as far as the edifying of the saints it includes admonishing the word in the greek for admonishing is called nutheteo and that is a compound word made up of the word nous, which is mind, and tithemi, which is mean I put, or I properly place. So nuthateo is to properly place the mind, to properly place the mind that is what paul is doing that's what we're doing right now we're properly placing our mind and that's through instruction appeals to the mind and that paul said that before he said that in romans 12:2 when you believe what is your appropriate response to what christ has given you exactly yeah in Romans 12, 2, it says, well, Romans 12, one says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, this is what the Lord has done for you in Christ, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And how do you do that? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, we're raised in the in secular world. We're born dead. We're born in the likeness of Adam. And we're raised in a sin nature, and all around us is this satanic world. And we think that way until we're saved. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, the new nature comes in, and we can change. And that is what Paul is doing. And part of that is admonishing, which includes reproof or rebuke, you know, saying, no, that is not right. (laughs) And, you know, we have to tell new believers this. Um, And sometimes it's painful to hear for them, you know, and uh, they need to be willing to do it, to renew the mind. And so, so it includes correction and development of a biblical worldview. You know, Dane had an interaction. I, I love our pastor. He was very kind, very gentle, but he had an interaction with a believer who did not have a biblical worldview about a certain thing. And he was very gentle. He corrected her, but he did not back down. And, um, you know, I'm proud of him for that. So, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, oh, well, that's okay. And they will back down. That is not what Paul would do. So, and then uh, Paul in verse 28 was teaching every man with all wisdom. So, what is all wisdom? That is the complete counsel of God. Paul, when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders, On the shore in Miletus, as he was sailing back to uh, Jerusalem, he said, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So we want to know the complete word of God from the creation to the eternal state. You know, it's all laid out there. And if we just pick and choose, we can get, that's how the heretics can pick you off. If you just pick and choose things to look at. And actually, Dane is going to, uh, starting in January, have a uh, study. This is not going to be put online, but on biblical worldview, on having a biblical worldview. And uh, so I think it'll be very good. So Paul's goal is to present every believer as mature and that's the greek telios from telos which means the end the end is a mature believer and a mature believer cannot be swayed they cannot be knocked off by every wind of doctrine okay they they are not uh, easy to confuse So that's what we want for every single believer in our church. We want every single believer that goes to this church to be growing, to become a believer that cannot be knocked off course, cannot be knocked off course. So when Paul did this with toil, verse 29, which which is the Greek kapiao, toil, or labor, and striving. The striving is the word (laughs) agonizomahi. Yeah, which is, you know, where we get the English word to agonize. It's agonizing is how, how hard he was doing this. But it was not in his own power, but God's power, his power, which mightily works within me. And that's the only way we can do any of this with God's power. We just have to trust him. He guides us. We say, okay, and we give it a go. And he will give us the power to do it. You know, that's how it works. Anything else about that? Okay. Section C is hidden treasures in Christ. That's one through five. Somebody want to read that piece? Okay. So Paul struggles for these Colossians and for those in Laodicea, and he had not met them. So he knew they were there, but he had not met them personally. So how is he struggling for him, for them, do you think? How do you struggle for someone when you're away from them? You pray for them, exactly. Prayer does not have a... say Yeah, prayer does not have a distance limitation. You can pray for somebody, it doesn't matter how far away they are. And the Lord hears it, and the Lord is everywhere at once. He is with them, the same time He is with you. And so that is how you can struggle for people that you're not close to. Then verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of Christ, of God's mystery that is Christ himself. Remember, Paul was fighting against the Gnostics that were coming up, and the Gnostics touted this mystery knowledge that not everybody could have. And so he's using this phrasing, you know, the mystery is Christ himself. That's the mystery. So all the wealth comes from knowing Christ is god incarnate Mm -hmm. yeah he is also the word and uh, so that we know that jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed that they may have eternal life and then he defined eternal life as this it is knowing you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent that is eternal life when you know god and you know Jesus Christ whom he has sent, that is the definition of eternal life. And then verse 4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Okay, man, do we have that today. Lots of persuasive arguments, you know. So we need to see through persuasive arguments. Knowing Christ helps with seeing through. That's right. And, you know, all the persuasive arguments will say, yeah, but. They'll say, yeah, but, this, that, yeah, but, that. Faith tells you there's no buts. You know, there is no buts. (laughs) So, um, and that leads to verse 5. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline. And the stability of your faith in Christ. Um, You know, there are a lot of believers who are not very stable. They kind of come and go. They're a little wishy-washy and things like that. They're not stable. Stable, you know. Steadfast. Steadfast. They, you know, attend to what the Lord has called them to do. They remain checked in, as Woody would say. That gives you stability. And it also gives you the ability to weather the, the persecutions that come, because they will come, you know? And um, that's exactly right. Yeah. So stability of faith is maturity. So that is what Paul is working toward, and that is one of the main purposes of the church is to gr- create stable believers who are not wishy-washy. You know, who stand on God's word? Cause they know God's word, and so you know. And and if you you can gently, because the Lord tells us to do it gently, correct them. You don't have to call them names, you know. You don't have to put them down, but you but you should correct them if they say crazy stuff, or thing or th- not even crazy stuff, things that are just wrong, you know. For example, that uh, pro-choice is something other than pro-death. Pro-choice equals pro-death. You don't have to be mean about it. Just say it matter-of-factly, because it's true, you know. Um, so, anyway, that's just one. That's just one thing. And um, but there are many things, and you know, we want we want mature. Christians here, and that's Dane's goal too, which I'm very glad of. And I think I think we have a pretty mature congregation, you know, in general, because of that. Jim was good at it too. Jim was not as clear about his goal, but he did it. Anyway you know. Um he stuck to the word, he preached the word, and so and I think that's why we're still standing, really, after the, all these years and all the things that have happened and COVID. And, and uh, you know, churches tend to die, and they die because of immaturity. That's why they die, because the members are immature, and they're walking in their flesh, and they blow apart when that happens. A, ch- a church will blow apart when its members are walking in the flesh. A split, you know, and I think that Jim's major contribution was that he was a man of prayer. He promoted prayer. He encouraged prayer. He had everybody praying all the time. And prayer it unifies us. Prayer unifies us together. Um. So anyway, that's what we want. We want to be prayers, and we want to be be maturing as we move along. And, uh, you know, pray for the Lord to come and get us out of here. (laughs) Okay, section D, the established Christian. That is two verses and since it's such a long section. No. I'll do that one. (laughs) Chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So as we receive Christ, how did we receive Christ? We believed in him, right? We heard that there's this... Yeah. Which are the same thing. (laughs) Those are the same thing. Those are synonyms for the same thing. So, uh, yeah, we received Christ because we heard stories. We've never seen Christ. He lived 2,000 years ago. But we had parents, we had Sunday school teachers that told us from Scripture that there was a man who came who was God himself. He walked on this earth perfectly. He died on a cross for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. And he gave us a promise that if you believed that, he would give you life. And we did. That is how we received Christ Jesus, by believing that. And we were sealed in that instant. And he says, so as you have received him, you received him by believing. So walk in him. That is how you grow also, by believing the word that he gave us. Okay, A lot of Christians will believe in him, uh, but then when it comes to believing his word, they don't want to do that. There's a good example of this uh, in recent years. Uh, It was the author Anne Rice who wrote vampire novels. And she lived in New Orleans. Very famous, uh, I forgot the name of it. She wrote several of them. But she believed in Jesus. She was converted. She wrote a couple of books about Christ, about Christ as a child. And but she did not believe the biblical teaching on sexuality. And she fell away. Okay? Because she received Christ by faith. She did not walk by faith. Okay? Because she came to a point in the where she got to a place in the Bible where it taught against what she had thought before, and she wasn't willing to give up what she thought before for what the Bible taught. So we will see Anne Rice in heaven, I am convinced, because she believed in Christ. She'll be rewarded less. I don't know how much she'll be rewarded. Maybe she'll be rewarded some, but she won't be rewarded about Uh, sexuality, (laughs) and the teaching on sexuality, because she disbelieved what the Bible taught about it. Okay, and that's why we want to renew our mind, because all of us have these issues that we have to grow out of. You know, and if you come to Christ later in life, you're going to have more of these issues. They're very strongly inculcated. You know, right now the idea of sexuality is it's a free-for-all and you can do whatever you want and you don't even have to be the gender that you were born. You know, well, that is a lie. And, uh, but it's deeply beaten into people by our culture. And some people, when they get to that, you know, it's just like the uh, the... First generation Israelites coming out of Egypt, they believed in the Passover lamb, which saved them. And they went through the Red Sea, and they went up to Kadesh Barnea, and the Lord, the Word of God, told them, Go into the land and conquer it. They did not believe it. They did not believe it. So they are saved. They physically died. Yes, they are saved, but they died. And so our goal as believers is to align our, our thinking with that of Christ and His Word. And, um, but salvation, deliverance from hell, is a one-step process, and that is trust in Christ. And so Anne Rice is a sister. She's passed away now. But she is a sister in Christ. And so I look forward to seeing N. Rice, you know? So anyway, you know, that's what Jesus said when the devil was trying to tempt him. Man does not live by God, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Christ in us helps us to have this understanding. And it helps us to change our opinions about certain things. So, and then verse 7, remember to thank Him for what He has done. He gave us eternal life. He gave us an improved quality of life. And He gave us significance in life. You know, we, uh, mature believers don't walk around saying, what am I doing here? We know what we're doing here. You know, we're here to glorify God. We're here to draw others to Him. And, uh, we're here to serve as he wants us to serve. That's our purpose. We know our purpose. Um, For probably half of my life, I didn't know what my purpose was. I wondered frequently, what am I doing here? (laughs) You know, but Christians know what they're doing here. So anything else about that? So next week will be Lesson 11, and that will be And what we'll be learning then is that Christ is sufficient. We don't need philosophy. We don't need psychology. We don't need all these other things. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. That'll be a good one. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Colossians is very good stuff. And help us to mature. In Jesus' name, amen.